And today's sponsor is Reconciled. Reconciled invoices your clients, pays your bills, and delivers clear and accurate financial reports every month automatically. Ready to streamline your financials and prepare your business for the next big step? Visit Reconciled.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado Magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado Magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to the How to Exit Podcast. Today I'm here with Dania Shackbay. She is with is a Motiva Business Law, and we're going to talk about some really cool stuff. You have a different perspective on business, and we're going to talk about the art of business today. So uh, thank you for thank being you for here today. Me. Yes, thank you for having me. Okay, cool. We always start with the origin story. The running joke is you were born and then something happened. Now you're on a show about mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. <laughs> Could you fill up that small gap in between? <laughs> so tell us how you ended up on in the M&A world. Well, so yes, I was, I was first born. So I initially wanted to become a lawyer to, I think a lot of lawyers go into law school thinking they're going to change the world, especially me being a minority. I was like, oh, civil rights and world peace and all that. Well, unfortunately, I'm not going to have an impact on world peace. There are a lot of very intelligent people that came before me that could not do it. So I don't see how I can. So anyways, so I ended up kind of in the business law because I started to see a lot of situations around me where people who were friends or people who knew each other and had good relationships before they go into business and then there's a dispute, they end up hating each other and things go badly. And so, and they end up in court. And so I found myself wanting to add value to people's lives and business owners specifically by helping them prevent those issues by doing the things that they should do when they start a business, like getting their partnership agreements, making sure they understand why they're in business together and how they can protect the business itself and, and themselves as individuals. With m and specifically, it's kind of weird. You know, I'm a smaller law firm and I admit the concept of m and was very intimidating to me because I imagined it to be a kind of a law where only these big wig law firms on Wall Street doing these big deals. And then I had found that, no, it's actually something that smaller businesses do on the daily on Main Street. And it's something I enjoy. It's a nice combination because I don't like to litigate, but there's still some interaction. There's deadlines. There's still some strategy, kind of like litigation versus just like writing a contract. And so... um that's what, that's how I ended up here. I interview a lot of entrepreneurs who were attorneys at one point. One of the, it's one of the few things that uh, I've ever come across where I think there's a high percentage. I haven't ever done the research on it, but I, I would imagine more than 50% of the people who graduate law school and pass the bar don't practice for more than 10 years. Probably. They, uh, <laughs> they're all doing something else, right? They, they got into it. And, and the, interesting, the interesting thing was, is I actually wanted to do law school too. 
And in one of the many paths I was starting to take in my life, I actually got accepted into one of the part-time programs. Was a class or two, I think it was two classes, getting ready to start the third one. Ended up in a vicious divorce with my first. In the process of trying to find an attorney, I was like, I just can't find any, anybody I really like. A lot of these people were just like, oh my God. And yeah. uh, as far as like quality of human being, I wanted to be around. <laughs> and that, that's something I do with everything. Who do I want to be? I'm going to have to work with this person off and on. I want somebody that's good, but I yeah. also want somebody who's just not, just a, not a bad person, I guess is right. what I look for. And I was like, I can't even find anybody of these I like. I don't know if I want to be one. And then I got really lucky in the fact that I had to drop out of law school, out of the program I just started because of all the money I was paying out <laughs> to the attorneys and divorce and all that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a huge misconception because law, like on TV, is so glamorous. Yeah. Courts and trials. But I think what people don't realize is that most of law is you're, you are sitting at your desk. Like even if you're a litigator yeah. or a trial attorney, you're reading memos, you're doing research. There's very little of that courtroom stuff. And even when you go, it's not nearly as exciting. But um, yeah, so business uh, attorneys and business, I think law schools actually, I mean, more recently, they've been more open to teaching lawyers business or how to be a business owner. But before it was usually like they would just assume that you're going to go the big law route and almost like the law schools were designed to create jobs for those big law firms and by creating jobs that profit for them. That's really what it comes down to. So most attorneys don't know or like most attorneys who start their own business don't know a lick about business. And I would even say that the way that we're trained in law school actually hurts our ability to become entrepreneurs because we're kind of trained to be risk averse. We're trained to not really, or just to, to look at details that maybe on the business end don't matter as much. And there's kind of the people interaction aspect that kind of goes out the window too in that process. So um, I had to unlearn a lot of things when I started my own business and got proper business coaching. Yeah, I bet. The other one is, is almost all college degrees are what you said. They, they prepare you to be a good employee. Yeah, I, I did go back to school. I got a master's degree, MBA in marketing. And I thought, this is great. I'm an entrepreneur. Actually, I started to get one in technical management and I realized I didn't. I hated tech. And so I went into the, like the counselor's office was like, look, I'm dropping out. I'm not going to finish this. She's like, you finished, you, like, you pretty much finished everything but your capstone, your major. Why would you leave now? You got to take five more, four or five, four or five more classes and, you, and then you're done. And I was like, because I don't want to do technical management anymore. She's like, oh, cool. What do you want to do? I was like, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm going to start another business. And she's like, cool, do something in that. And it came down to either accounting or marketing. And I'll be honest, the accounting just, I had, you have to take that for your undergrad. You take two classes, one and two. And for your graduate MBA program, you got to take accounting one and two. I already had enough of it. No, I didn't like it. Right. Yeah. I yeah, no, the, the education system is really designed to teach people how to conform. And entrepreneurship is the opposite. You, you shouldn't conform. If you're doing what everybody else is doing, then you're you're only going to get the same results everybody else is getting. So. I have a lot of people that go to the meetups and stuff I host and mergers and acquisition ones and entrepreneurial stuff I host. And they're always like, there's two different groups of people like, hey, I'm going to figure this out. It's like, cool, you're going to make it. And the other guy's like, well, I've done X, Y, and Z, and I know everything about business. So like, you'll probably never start one for real. Yeah. Because right? <laughs> the, 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 the moral of the story is most people I know who did really well in business will tell you, had I known now, if I knew what I knew right now, I probably would never started the business in the first place. Mm -hmm. I knew how complex it was or how regulated it was, but they didn't. They just started, they got an idea, the, what is the internal optimism of an entrepreneur? <laughs> They got an idea and they're going to figure it out. They just go, go, go. And they run into these yeah. obstacles and they climb them one time at a, 
one, one obstacle at a time, then they make it to the other end. But if you ask them, okay, if you had to start over again, what would you do? It's like, I'd probably pick a different field. This one's really complex, right? There's a little bit of brilliance in not knowing. Yeah, I guess for those who kind of appreciate the or can kind of get through that process of learning and being open to different experiences that make you at least make me uncomfortable. To me, if if you're comfortable being a business owner, you're not doing it right. It's supposed to feel a little bit scary. Yeah. It's the constant challenges too. You're always challenging yourself. How do I improve this? How do I, you know, what am I missing? Let's talk about, you have this thing, this concept called the art of business. Um, tell us about that. What's your thought process around that? Why is it? Why is it related to art at all? So art is a form of expression, and I think having your own business is also a form of expression. So kind of like what I was saying before about conformity is that if you're going to conform, then you're only going to look like everybody else. Whereas when you start your own business, it's an opportunity to build things and to build the business the way you want to. So it could be your corporate culture, maybe you are the way that you provide your services or sell your products in your marketing, even like creating your logo. I mean, that's that's art. And if your logo is meant to reflect your corporate culture, then that's like literal art. But even more about the way that I want to have my staff interact with each other, the way I interact with them, it's just what I want to do. So, I mean, outside of any like legal reason or regulations, you can do whatever you want in business. Even when I made my office, I decorated. I mean, it's not like a typical law firm office. It's blue. There's marble decor and uh, my conference table is black and white marble. It's just different because that's just how I wanted to do it. Even the way that I screen clients, there's the way that everybody else does it. And then there's the way that I want to do it. But, you know, so that's how for me, it's a form of art. It's a blank canvas. And I wish more business owners actually saw it that way and took it as an opportunity. We get too scared. We think, oh, well, we're just going to do what everybody else is doing because that's just how it's done. But it's like, no, it's the opposite. You want to stick out. You have to do things differently. And that's where your creative expression comes in. It's interesting because. One of the things that people are told over and over again when they go to sell their business is formalize everything, standardize everything, standard operating procedures, remove yourself from the business. But if you really look at it, that doesn't take away from anything of what you just said. Correct. Right? Yeah. You can have a very artistic, very different approach to business and have a well-documented, well-oiled machine yeah. that runs day in and day out. And I know a lot of people are implementing, I've interviewed the guys that created the EOS system and stuff like that. You can still live within the art of what you're talking about and doing things unique and use a common system for your day-to-day operations. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the standard operating procedure, yeah, I mean, you're. that's a good point. The standard, it's not meant, the, the standard oper, operating procedures are like your internal documentation. But for me, it's like the guide of the arts or kind of a tour of what that expression is so everybody is on the same page in terms of how the business is run but it's like standard it's an internal standard it doesn't need to be standardized like not all businesses are standardized to each other what do you think about the there's this whole mentality built to exit mentality out there right which is one of the concepts and i know some people have done it really well they actually they went into i've interviewed people who went into business with the total view of who they're selling it to like, okay, here's five companies that would probably buy this thing we're building. Let's build it. Let's get it up and running. And then if at any point we're ready to sell, we'll have it. We'll start it from day one with that, with that, you know, built in. So they build the thing. They use this, like they look at those five and they choose common computers. Like, okay, these five people use this accounting system, right? Three of the five use this one. So they pick something that's common. 
and they try to model their business so it's really easy to integrate into one of those big guys. My fear is, you know, I've seen it, two of those guys win and you know, one of them sold to that exact target. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people try that and they never get off the ground running because they're trying to live within the, what they think is standard conformity to a certain system. Right. And they don't give themselves the leeway to solve the problems in the moment. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't really love that idea. I, I could see why people do it. I mean, if yeah. that's their goal, that makes sense. But just because the, their target company does things a certain way, it does not mean that they would not appreciate something being done differently. So, mm-hmm. I mean, think about like Facebook bought Instagram, for example. I mean, though they're complete opposite. Imagine if Instagram was like, we're just going to be like Facebook, then why would Facebook buy it? They wanted something different. And now Facebook tries to be like Instagram, which right. is their target company. So I think it's more about, you know, as as the company, if you you know, like uh, if you're creating a business to exit, you want to be clear about what value you're providing and how the target company. No, I'm sorry, the company that's bought that could be buying would be how they could like, why would they find that valuable? And then everything else is is up to you it, and the model and everything else could be really part of that art of creating something new. I've got it. And I, I get that. And I also seen some really really rough ones. So when Microsoft bought Hotmail, we actually did the, one of the companies I work for did the anti-spam and antivirus for Hotmail. When they started swapping out their servers from Linux, which is a a nerdy thing to say for Unix operating system, to Microsoft computers, because it was Microsoft, their performance was so horrible. We actually had to write special code in there because our software quit working right on their new platform, even though we had wrote it to work on both. But it was because their performance was so bad. They had so many memory leaks. They had to shut, recycle or reboot different banks of machines on a regular basis. They had such a hard time adapting to the differences in technology. So I would say, I would imagine, and I don't know for sure, I would imagine that Facebook and Instagram was probably operating on similar tech stacks, but different models. So what I was referring to is when you're going to build something out and you know that your top five buyers operate on particular tech stacks probably a good idea to use that technology right you don't want to run on quickbooks when no if you're the only if everybody's running on zero and you're gonna you want to sell it but you're growing this thing to sell it to one of them probably ought to learn if you and maybe you don't know quickbooks already if you're gonna learn one might as well learn the one the majority of people are using yeah Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's a horrible example because accounting is going to be every person I've ever seen that does accounting does it differently. Mm-hmm. So when I first got into this, I, like I said, I did my undergrad and my master's, or my master's both had accounting courses. I thought it was supposed to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then it got into this and started looking at everybody's books. And I've never been a stock investor by any means. I, I did day trading, but we don't look for, at quarterly reports very often yeah. in day trading. But when you start looking at this stuff, every one of them's done differently. Uh-huh. Right. Like, so what is this? Like, how is this possible? And I, I have a friend who's a forensic accountant. I'd pass him to her and say, no, it's normal. That's right. What, what do you mean it's normal? It's different than the last five I looked at. Like, yeah, that's still okay. So yeah. there's, a, there's an art form in there. I guess there's this guide that you have to stay within. But so I guess that would be a bad example of it. But for a lot of stuff, just being on similar tech stacks would probably be. In- yeah. But still, I mean, like the value proposition is going to be different. The corporate culture, I mean, with an acquisition, the corporate culture might disappear, but maybe the the purchasing entity would appreciate how things are being done and then and then change as well. What else? So and then just incorporating certain values or artwork 
and models too. But usually, I mean, in my view, like me personally, like as I'm building a business, I don't, I don't, I mean, I do, I run it as if it were to, like I was going to exit just for the sake of like building a business that can run without me. But I want to stick to how I want to do things because to me, it's just, it's the way that I'm expressing myself and why I'm different. And that also plays out to how I present myself to my clients as well. It, it also helps you carve off a niche in a very, uh, very hard to define market. Yeah. So there's one thing to say, okay, a divorce attorney versus an M&A attorney, right? Mm -hmm. But if there's six M&A attorneys in town, two might only do really big deals. They won't even look at you unless you're doing a $50 million deal. And then now you're competing with the other, I don't know, say there's 10 of them out there. So now you got eight of them out there. How do you differentiate yourself? Yeah, You're going to do it by the art that you put into it, the uh -huh. way you treat your customer and stuff. A lot of the other guys are going to try to tell you pedigree. We're all Ivy or, or yeah. everybody's going to have, it's the standard way of business. We all have to carve off something. Yeah. You know? Like for me, I mean, as, as for my own business, for my law firm, I'm huge about having a relationship with my clients and not just like a business relationship, but like I want to to get to know them as people. Why are they in business? What motivates them? Like what makes you different? Does it have to be complicated or glamorous? I mean, for example, mo many, many clients who come to me complain that they're that that their attorneys or attorneys they've tried to hire are not responsive. I mean, you would think that just business 101, like you get a lead, you call them back. And I can say that's true personally because I've hired lawyers too and I've called law firms and they just never get back to you, which is wild to me. So I'm, and so I know that like one of the things that makes me different is that I have a clear procedure, like an SOP on what happens if our client contacts us and how we make sure that we respond to them. And even, or my assistant, my intake, we also call her like the client of a concierge or the client relationship manager and like a lot of the turn or excuse me, like a lot of law firms don't have that mm -hmm. role but like what's wrong with having that relationship and it's just more warm and friendly i think attorneys sometimes want to seem like they're awesome and like untouchable sort of i'm like no we can be relatable we can be we we can show our human side to our clients and feel like have a warm feeling sorry that came up for <laughs> warm <laughs> kind of that like that that human to human connection i guess for lack of a better term yeah yeah. I can tell you I'm 51 and I don't know if I've ever, ever done business with somebody I have had to call more than twice. So I have a two, I have a two call policy on anything I do in life. If I want you to come mow my lawn, I'll call you once. If I get a business signal, I'll leave a voicemail and I might call you back these days. I might text you back, say, Hey, yeah. call me. I want, I've got business for you. Call me back. I've even got friends that got mad at me. Like, you know, if you're a really close friend, I might try more than twice, but that's probably yeah. the only exception. I've got a, a really good friend who owns a heat and air business. I would give him my business. I own a bunch of real estate or had a bunch of real estate. Less and less these days, they're refinancing out of underneath me. But uh, I own or finance them all off, so I wouldn't have to manage them. But uh, if, if there's an AC down, I call him first. And then I'll text him, say, hey, I got work for you. When are you available? But I, he knows that if he can't get back to me, these people are living in these things. I don't have, yeah. to, do it as, I don't have to do it as much anymore because... Like I said, I want to finance them all off. Now it's like we have a commercial building and some other stuff. So I, I call him for that type of stuff. That said, he knows after probably a day <laughs> in Oklahoma, at least I'm in California now, but all that stuff's in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, during the August, it gets 110 and humid, yeah. right? I don't, nobody's going to show up to work if the building they see is down. Yeah. Right? So if you can't come over today or tomorrow, I'm calling the next guy on the list. And he knows that. 
<clears throat> and that's why I always, you know, I used to tell people all the time when we go to business networking stuff and they hand me their card. Like, I've got a heat and air guy, but it's never bad to be my second person to call. They're like, what do you mean by that? It's like, because I'm only going to call you once, maybe twice. Yeah. Right? I think that's a really good policy to have yeah. because if they can't respond to you when you're trying to get their, when you're trying to pay them, you're trying right. to, they, like, imagine how it's going to be if you've already paid them. Then what's their incentive? So. Right. I like that. Yeah. You want someone who's going to respond to you and that's kind of a good way to know early on. Yeah. We still have a small business there. And that's like, Hey, we return everybody's call. Like I tell my yeah. guys, it's like, I don't care. And the problem these days is we get so many calls. It's a little pest control company that's run most, mostly by my relatives. If they can't get to the phone within about the third or fourth ring, it rings to me and I'm in California, but like we, we answer those phone calls, right? It doesn't go to voicemail. It'll ring to me. And if, and if I can't get to it, it'll go to voicemail. But we call those people back same yeah. day within, you know, within a couple hours, hopefully. Nobody goes and thinks that we're not going to return calls. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, it's really important to call people back. And that's just part of, I mean, it's kind of going back to the art of business. Like you mm -hmm. have to really identify your core values. I mean, that's part of being a business owner is do we want to be the kind of business that, that is reachable, there's so much technology too. And there's like services that if you can't get to your phone, then it can go to an answering service. At least a human picks up and they'll say, what, well, we'll have someone call you back as soon as possible. And then we also have like automation. So you can automate responses. Like that's something I do. If you call my law firm, you either like you get a referral or we tell you that we can't help you. And, but you get some sort of feedback from us one way or another, because we just care about every person that calls us because that's part of my value system in my law firm. That's my art. And today's sponsor is Reconciled. Are you an entrepreneur or business owner thinking about your exit strategy? Or maybe you've just landed business through acquisition and the books just aren't the way you need them to be. Let me tell you about Reconciled, your dedicated partner for industry-leading virtual bookkeeping and accounting services. Reconciled pairs you with skilled professionals who empower you to grow your business and prepare for success, whether that's your exit or taking that new acquisition to top performance. Imagine having high-level financial management without expanding your team, from bookkeeping to CFO services, tax advisory, and even fully outsourced accounting, Reconciled has got you covered. They help you make the best business decisions, keeping your end goal in mind. And the best part? Reconciled understands acquisitions as they have acquired three accounting firms in the past three years, and their founder, Michael Lee, mentors others in searching for acquisition, raising capital, or trying to aggressively scale. Reconcile invoices your clients, pays your bills, and delivers clear and accurate financial reports every month automatically. Ready to streamline your financials and prepare your business for the next big step? Visit Reconcile.com today and let them get your books in order. Reconciled, making bookkeeping a breeze. That's Reconcile.com. So we were talking beforehand, you're kind of in the Chicago area, right? What are the main street type of businesses you get to work with? There's still a lot of manufacturing around or what? I know that there is, but I haven't really dealt with them too much. More like restaurants, lawn mowing companies. I see that a lot, like service providers. Car washes are pretty popular now. I mean, there's car washes booming. And so, and it's people like that because it's kind of like a passive income sort of business model. Some stuff in retail. So those are pretty much the ones that I've dealt with most recently. I know there's some, like I said, some manufacturing out there, but it just hasn't been part of my clientele. Yeah, I was really interested in the car wash space for a little while there. And then I moved to California and they're so regulated here. Like, I am not interested. Let's go back to, uh, do you get to, you, you refer to it as the art of business. I was curious to you, is there much, you know, do you get to work with any of the uh, 
are you in art any other way? I guess the word I'm looking for are there art related businesses, art galleries and stuff. Cause there's a lot of old uh, architecture there. I've been to Chicago a couple of times. There's yeah. kind of like Tulsa. There's some really cool old buildings there. Yeah. To be honest, when I think of art, I, actually I'm I kind of purposely using it outside of the traditional art or okay. like the word that we think, because yeah. I think that anything can be art at the, yeah. at the end of the day is your form of self-expression. So no, I, to be honest, I don't, but I mean, that's the beauty of it. It's like, you don't have to be like quote, quote artist to, to produce art or creation out in the world. I know that it's just the idea of building and creating. Like when I was little, I've always loved like arts and crafts. I like I used to use an app called, I think front page it was to actually build websites. And I used to make mm -hmm. them different, like different colors, like the scroll bar would be different. And it's just this idea of building and creating, like you have something in your mind and you want it to come to life and it can be business. So yes, but so that's kind of by design. I'm using yeah. it We're dating ourselves here. Front page. Has <laughs> yeah. been, I don't think front page has been around for a while. Yeah. I think you brought it up and I was like, yeah, I know that one. And I was like, wait a second. That hasn't been around for probably 10 or 15. Yeah. It might still be out there, but I don't think it's been around for 10 or 15 years. So uh, let's talk about business law and, um, what that means to the small business owner. What are some of the things that you sit down at your big marble table when you, when a business owner comes in and they're either looking to like shore up the business because they might want to sell it someday or they just formatted, want format, you know, uh, they just, what do we call it, incorporated or made their LLC. What are some of the, the things that you would tell them to look at first? If it's more than one business owner, so if they're business partners, I really tell them to sit down and really get a grip on their relationship amongst each other because I've seen even very successful businesses get tanked because they didn't talk about how they were going to split profits or who was responsible for what or even something basic like sometimes the business or like one of the business partners may contribute money and there was a misunderstanding as to whether that money was a loan or part of the investment and so they fight over that and it's just really unfortunate that you have an otherwise well-run business get tanked because of the, the business owner is not knowing what their roles are. So like sit down and if you have an LLC, you want to make sure that you have your operating agreements and having those discussions is really important. That's where I'd start. The second thing is to make sure if there's any like regulations in their industry that they need to follow. They certainly don't want to start having a successful business and then get fined or the IRS coming after you or anything like that. Next thing I do is like build your team, get an accountant um, who can advise you on taxes and a bookkeeper so you know your numbers. As cliche it is, if you're a business owner, you have to know your numbers. You want to know your profit margins, how many clients or customers you need to meet your goals. What else? Any local, I think what's missed a lot too is any local regulations. It's easy just to look at state level, federal level, but is there something specific to your county or your town that you need to look out for? So the yeah, that's where I start. And then also, yeah, contracts too, making sure that your contract is easy to understand. So if like, if you have a contract with a vendor or your own customers or clients, make it clear so that you don't have an issue with those people, because that's also a really good way to lose money. Yeah. We're in the process of moving some of our LLCs here to California because it doesn't make sense like to, to leave them yeah. where they were because there's no business there anyway. And uh, it, it, we're, it's strange here because like we have a parent LLC and then we have a bunch of DBAs. Well, the LLC is done at the state level, but the state doesn't do the DBAs. You have to go to the county level here. Oh, really? Or the like how, so how do the other counties know what they, because you go to the local county, you do that and you run it in the local county business paper, right? So it's all filed at the county level. I'm in a very rural area, right? We're what's called an, an unincorporated town. So there's no mayor, there's no formal police department and stuff. There's sheriffs here, but they're county sheriffs. 
to we're really rural. We're in the woods. Yeah. We're, we're back in the woods here. That said, like every state, and I've been in here, Texas, like I told you, I live in Hawaii. I formed LLCs almost everywhere I live because I've always been an entrepreneur, even in Hawaii. I used to have a thing in Hawaii called Diamond Cane Networks. We did networking. We installed networking cables for like the schools and all kinds of stuff. But um, every state's different. Most of them, the LLCs form at the state level with the Secretary of State. That's normal. Yeah, yeah. But when you get past that, like if you got to do a DBA and you don't want to like have an LLC for everything or whatever, like yeah. I've noticed that they're just, they're all a little bit different. So you have to like dive into what's different here. I'm actually, I just looked it up real fast. It's like, no way. But oh my God. Yeah. That's wild because that's a lot of paperwork for, I mean, if you're operating throughout the state, we have to register with every county. That seems kind of. Yeah. And the second part of that, like, it's not every, like, you don't even have to do it for every county. It's just yeah. your county. It's like, so oh. I have a DBA that's I'm using only on the internet. There's nobody in my county that ever writes me a check to that yeah. DBA. All my stuff's, you know, online. But in order to have it under California, that's where I'm supposed to do the stuff in order to like go and put that DBI on my bank so I can make deposits. If it's a local bank to make deposits here, I need that to make it legal. Yeah, but how would you know if someone else? Yeah, like how would you know? Yeah, that's I find that very strange. It is very strange. That's like, (laughs) surely that's not right. Say it's the same way when like the franchise tax board here within the first 12 months, you got to pay $800 a year to keep your LLC alive. You got to pay the franchise tax board. So if you pay the state your LLC thing, but then you got to have this tax thing that's $800 a year minimum uh, until you hit over $250,000 in revenue, and then I think it goes up. But anyway, like, yeah, so every state's got different things, and every area, you know, that was only Tulsa County. Like, Oklahoma City did their own weird thing, and, like, if you got outside of the county, so if you went to Sepulpa or something, and you didn't have to pay an extra five or $600 worth of property taxes on computers and stuff I got laying around the office, so... Go to your attorney, figure out what's local. But yeah. you'll know the local rules, regulations, and weirdness that's for your town or for your yeah. state and your that's county. That's a good lesson for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had someone who tried to start a business and you can, um, here in Illinois, you can do your DBA at the county level. I just don't know why you would, but you can. And so some people, so someone started a business and, and they had done it that way and they thought it was what you're supposed to do. And I was like, you don't have any of the pr- corporate protections. You're mm-hmm. only limited to this county in terms of the name that you could use it's different here yeah. and so yeah you definitely just want to talk to someone who's at least done it before and knows what they're doing so yeah like you said there's the i think there's the art side of business like well you're talking about doing things your own way and there's a little bit of the science things so yeah right? like regulations and rules and things you don't want to lines you don't want to cross on accident like yeah <laughs> IRS. I, I think when you know the rules it it kind of gives you your boundaries and you can create more art that way because now you know exactly like what lines you have to stay in and what you don't instead of guessing and assuming and then ending up in trouble or like limiting yourself thinking you have a limitation and then reality you don't i think in in that way it can be useful to to know i've been in businesses that were so complex we had to like map out all the different rules inside of them and then move like put all the like i had one of my offices we actually had 300 one of the rooms had 360 degree whiteboards florida ceiling whiteboards we wrote all the laws wow. and all the rules regulating our business. And then we would map it out and go, okay, living with inside these guidelines, how do we solve this problem? Mm-hmm. How do we do what we need to do and what we and serve our customer the way they need to be served? Living inside of what all this said. And the only thing I didn't have was the floor of the ceiling. So the, there was, it wasn't 360, right? But uh, yeah, all the walls and the doors even, they all were all whiteboard material. So you could just like go crazy in that room and draw all over it. But uh you put a group of incredibly intelligent people in the same room and said, here's a, a big, we had a big boardroom table, 
cover that with paper, give them crayons, markers, pens, and then the whiteboards or the walls, and you give them a problem to solve and a way to actually visually think. You'd be mm. surprised on how fast they can solve some really complex things. We call it our little think tank. Our entrepreneur center had one too. So we had a real estate entrepreneur center where we created a think tank inside of it. And people would come over and use it occasionally just to solve problems. They bring their team over. We'd roll out the paper all over. We'd cover the desk with these big rolls of paper, gave them bags, giant, you know, one pound bags of crayons and Sharpies and just random stuff all over the tables, you know, like, like kind of scattered throughout the middle. And then. That's, that's really cool. Cause I think that if you were doing things the way everybody else did, you would just have a pen and paper or a PowerPoint presentation. But instead yeah. you're like, here's the way we're going to do this. Yeah. And you're going to get a way better outcome because yeah. you, you gave you and your team that flexibility. And it's not like anyone looked out or like you're not above using a whiteboard or crayons even or colors. Yeah. So I think that's a really good re representation of doing things differently. And they would bring in notepads and they could do whatever they wanted. But yeah. like we'd set up, we did yeah. the Pomodoro te technique, which is that little food timer. Right. Right. Yeah. So we, we, we'd, I'd write a problem up on the board or kind of give maybe two to three minutes. Okay. Here's what we're trying to solve. I put it on right. one board, uh, maybe a problem a statement four or five bullet, like here's four facts you need to know about the problem. Right. And then I set a timer for 15 minutes and everybody was like, it, it, they almost looked like they were a prison, eating prison meals. They had their arms out where nobody could see their stuff and they would solve their problem. It was funny because they'd everybody get a little protective because people get stumped and they start trying to look over and it's, it was fun. Everybody would solve that. I was like, now write out, you know, just don't think yes or no. Don't validate your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Just start writing thoughts down on what, you know, brain that your brain dump, dump everything down and it will validate in the second round. And then, so we do like 15 minutes of that. And then we do the five minute thing where, okay, now validate. So mm. in five minutes and really figure out which ones are your top. And yeah. then the next thing is, okay, you got three minutes to present. So mm. we go around the room every three minutes to present the, their top, the top ones they have. And then we didn't make any decisions till we heard everybody's out. Mm. So that was a way to solve some of the really more complex things. I've never even brought that up on the show before, but that was done because like, yeah, I really brought it up because that was an artistic way that we did things that were probably different yeah. than anybody else. So um, let's go back to, back to your law firm and, and what you do there. When you're looking at these people and they have partnerships and stuff, do you recommend things like key man policies, buyout agreements and that type yeah. of stuff in the uh, corporate structure? I'm a big fan of if I've got a partner, what happens when, I want to document it, what happens when things aren't working? What happens yeah. if something happens to you, right? So there's like, yeah, you want to like, so one of the questions we ask is what happens if someone wants to buy, to, to be bought out or if they want to exit or what happens if someone dies or even mm. if they get divorced? In some states, you can include provisions around that. That's much worse. Well, yeah, I've, I've had more. I've had more business partners where I've had to go. I'm, I'm not in business with your wife, man. You just got married. I don't even know this lady yet. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So my wife thinks require we should them be... to get a prenup of some sort and make sure they can't have. Or they, they just come in the office. My wife thinks we should be in X, Y, and Z. It's like I'm yeah. not in business with your wife, man. Why don't you come yeah. in here and introduce exactly. me? Does she know more about business than me and you? Because I'd love to meet her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then I always I, I tell my clients, part of me helping them assemble their team is make sure they have an insurance broker. So for those key men policies, make sure yeah. that, that they have something in place for their, for that. So absolutely, just to make sure, again, like, I mean, the whole goal ultimately what, is to just, is so that the business owner can focus on on making their dreams come true. And if you're in, if you're ever in survival mode, it's hard to be creative. And one way to be in survival mode is to end up in court. And you're not really thinking about growth and creativity. You're thinking about, oh my God, attorney's fees and will my business survive? And how am I going to get food on the table? You don't want to be there. So preempt that. 
I've been there before. Yeah, not fun. Only, only once or twice. I've been in, and it never made it to court. We got we settled it out beforehand. I went out and basically hired attorneys I could barely afford that were better than theirs, and hired forensic CPA firms to like go yeah. through their books and all that. And they they begged for mutual dismissal after they see what I had lined up. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like we don't really like they were suing us. Like we really don't want to do this now. I'm like okay, right. we we can, <laughs> we can stop if you want. And I was like, all right, you know. But they owed us a lot of them. The person that sued us owed us a lot of money. We left and created a competing business because of it. And he tried to sue us for all kinds of weird stuff. I forget. Mm -hmm. And we're like, all right, let's do this. He owed me 62K. The other guy in my company, about 70 something. Like, we're going after our money we're owed. And we're going to audit all your books because you're not only did you not pay us, you're not paying any of your investors. We're going to make that public. Mm -hmm. The investors that were getting equity also weren't right. getting they were misstating their books to them when we knew it. Nice. Like, so yeah. like I hired a forensic CPA firm. Like, what is it called when the attor two attorneys meet and they like disclose the plan? Like, what, how, this is how we're going to do it. There's that yeah. discovery or like whatever. Discovery meeting, yeah. Yeah. At the within an hour of the discovery meeting, their attorney called back and goes, "My client wants to really encourage me to do a mutual dismissal. He doesn't want to go mm -hmm. any further with this." That's so. good. Yeah, and it probably helps too if you had. I'm assuming that you, or it sounds like you did have partnership agreements and operating. So that's a lot easier to mm -hmm. get your clients' cases dismissed or to have a better outcome because you have those falls and you're not like relying yeah. on the state laws because sometimes yeah. those are vague or they don't like, there's just a lot of gaps. Yeah. So you kind of like, you had a clear strategy to do what you need to do because you know what the rules are because sure. you wrote them. Uh, <laughs> but just understand like anybody in business, if you're in business long, long enough, or if, especially in certain certain business like real estate, if you're in real estate long enough, you're eventually going to need an attorney. So better have one to set it all up right, get it done right. Exactly. It's just, it's part of the game. Like the game of business is you need attorneys to set your stuff up, do it right. And you need them to protect what they did when it comes time that some, a lot of people try to do this on their own. Like I'm kind of guilty of, I'll set up my own LLC real quick. I've got so many operating agreements. I can put one together, but I still, my attorney gets mad because I was like, I just need you to review this. <laughs> like, yeah. What did you do? And I was like, I set it all up. It took me two, two hours. I've got everything going. I don't want to wait two weeks for you to do it. And like, so here's everything. Tell me what you need to make any changes. That's good to have. Yeah. So, I mean, having those, I mean, because you, you seem sophisticated enough where you, you kind of know what's important to talk about. But a lot of people, they don't. Yeah. And they, they try to do it on their own and they don't even think about asking what happens if someone were to die or if there's an estate plan, should that be taken into account yeah. or what happens if someone wants to leave or if there's a minority member, do they have rights? All of that, they, they don't even think about. And then until they need to, it's kind of like anyone who's ever been through a divorce, which sounds like you have kind of wish you had a prenup and you would have spent any amount of money to, to have that prenup instead of being in court longer than you have to uh, arguing over assets and custody. The last one you said there, if you're a minority member, do you have rights? That depends on state by state too, doesn't it? Well, well, you can also put something in the operating agreement too, especially say. like, yeah, like tag along rights and, and yeah. you know, drag along rights. That's one of the things that got him is he didn't say that we didn't have full rights, right? Inside of the operating agreement or thing, basically, I was a 12.5% owner. The other guy was an 18% owner. And but because they didn't define everything, we had all the rights to see all the books. We had all the rights to, like, to, to do that CPA audit and everything. Because we were full acting members under state Oklahoma anyway, so our attorney like oh, you have the rights to see all that stuff. Like mm -hmm. he didn't because you were he didn't stay in there because you're a minority thing. You couldn't do certain things, and you never right. agreed to be limited. So let, let's do it. Yeah. So uh, it's important if you if you're out there creating the stuff to have an attorney go. Hey, yeah. how many people are going to work with this? Are going to eventually give other people equity? 
when do you want their capabilities to be if you give them equity that type yeah. of investment, right? Yeah. Those are questions that we ask. Yeah. Have you ever seen the uh, book by uh, Mike Moyer called Slicing Pie? I don't think I have, no. Check that out sometimes. You were talking about equity and how it's split and whether money's a loan or not a loan. Mike Moyer, I think is his name, M-O-Y-E-R. He created a system for that. Mostly it came out of the text. I've heard of it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And basically it has a mechanism in it to determine equity ownership based on the hours you put in, the value of your hours, and then equity ownership based on the dollars you put in. And it's a standardized process. It even has a little software tool and stuff. You can actually track it. And it's way more equitable in my eyes than going, we're creating this business together, me and you, and we're going to do this and you get 50%, I get 50%. You're busy and I'm busy, right? I own multiple businesses. I've got things going on. How many hours am I going to give you and how many hours are you going to put in? Who's more passionate in this is going to drop some of the other stuff to get it done, right? It's never going to be fair. It's never going to be fair. And if you either have to acknowledge that and like, okay, I'm going to be getting most of this stuff done and only own 50% or find a system out there that rewards you for the hours you put in and the money you put in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another way, too, is to give the person who's working more a salary if an accountant agrees. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say consult your accountant on that, too. But but that's one way I do it, too. So but that's yeah, I'll I'll definitely check that out. Check it. That's a real simple, small book, but it's the the premise is really cool. And they has they have some software tools. I, I recommend it all the time. So there's two books I recommend all the time. The other one is the Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. And basically it's about anytime you procrastinate doing anything. You probably should have somebody else do it for you. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. Anytime you're asking, how your do operating I, agreement. <laughs> it's like you know, yeah. Or how do I do this? If you got to figure out how, you're probably you're not probably not the right person. How do I write an operating agreement? Yeah, yeah you're probably not the right person for that. Probably have an exactly. attorney do it for you, unless you've seen a hundred. Like uh, I'm kind, I'm 51. I've seen so many of them. I can get the premise of it down. I've got so many samples from everything. I can yeah. get the premise of it down and hand it to somebody and go, how much trouble am I going to get into by running it this way? But now. If I switched attorney, I guarantee every attorney, operating agreements are kind of like trusts. Every attorney that sees it a trust, and I use a lot of trust for different things. Everyone that ever sees one that's, that's, that it's new to them thinks it's wrong and they want to do it their way. Mm-hmm. Operating agreements are the same thing. If you give them your operating agreement to any attorney on the planet, I swear they're going to make a dozen changes to it. And then you take it and he thinks it's perfect. You hand it to the next attorney and they're going to make a dozen changes to it. The other thing is... Uh, I don't typically go to attorneys. I ask them, it's like, how do you like, how do you like doing litigations and stuff? And my business attorney says, oh, I don't, I don't ever go to court. If they say I'm good at it, I'll do it if I want to, but it's not my, it's not what I want to do. That's my attorney for me because anybody that writes a document for me, I want them to be the person, either at least have somebody on their team that loves doing it to defend mm-hmm. the daggum thing. So if we end up in litigation because of that contract, are you going to be able to argue your work? In yeah. Court? So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Although some might see it as a conflict of interest too. I don't know. So, yeah, know. might be a very have, like, personal a preference firm. of mine. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, the lawyer might see it oh. as a conflict of interest because it, they are, they want, they need to represent their client, but they're also kind of defending themselves. Mm-hmm. So, I think that might be one reason why attorneys might not want to do that. Just really, truly in the best interest of the client, but I don't litigate. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Okay. So, yeah. so, how do people find you? What's the way you want people to reach out to you if they have questions for you? You and I met on LinkedIn. I know you're active there. Actually, I thought you were on ahead. You put enough video out there. I thought you had your own little podcast and stuff because I've seen the video clips and stuff. I think that they keep asking to my I'm Like, no, I've just been on enough other people's podcasts. They can email my so they can email me directly at dania at motivalaw.com. So D A N Y A at motivalaw.com. 
or call our office at 630-517-5529. They can also, if you just Google the name of my firm, you'll also get our YouTube and Instagram. It's a great way to get to know me as well by just seeing my videos. So that's the best way to get a hold of me. And our website, of course, motivalaw.com. Yeah, well, I think we're almost out of time, so we'll call that a show. But thank you for being here today. It was fun. One, la- one last thing, we always do this, one big takeaway. If somebody could remember only one thing from our show today, what would you want them to walk away with? You can, um, a cheap tool is an expensive tool. If you try to do something cheap, you're going to pay for it later somehow in some other way. So I would say that. Awesome. So, and I get that. I've done that before. Like, I'm going to save money. I'm going to do this myself. And then yeah. later, I'll like, ah, I wish I had to pay, pay someone. It's cheaper, much cheaper to pay an attorney to set something up for you than it is to pay an attorney to defend you in something. Yeah. Yeah. Something that, that a lay person wrote. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. I appreciate you. You have a great day. And we'll call that a show. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace, we have partnered with, has a proprietary database of 50,000-plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software-as-a-service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business, you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now